Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Matthew 7, 13, and 14. And I invite you to stand with me as I read the word of God. Again, that's taken from Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Sandy, it's a pleasure to have you back at the pulpit. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I want to thank my sister for that song. It was very appropriate and ties right in with the message that God gave me for us today. <clears throat> and before I start the message, I would just like to say that I was richly blessed by a sister in this church. And you all know her very well. You paid tribute to her all week. And her name, of course, is Pat, and Pat Minetti. You know, I'm just awed by the life that she led. I didn't know her too well. I knew of her, but I didn't know her too well until the last few years. But I became very attached to her quickly because she's, as you know, a very loving person. But you know, I looked at her funeral at her wake and all the lives that she touched. Yes, many were family, many were friends, many were neighbors, many were church brothers and sisters and her family. But what a simple mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, neighbor and friend can do. How many lives one person can touch. You know, I, I just, that's my, my tribute to Pat, is that she was a very special missionary for God. And she did it in her everyday life. And that is what God is calling us to do. And I just pray that we can be like her, because I think she lived as Jesus would have us all live helping others, doing for others, ministering to their needs, and calling them to follow Jesus. Shall we bow our heads for a word of prayer before we start? Father, I want to thank you this morning for Pat Manetti. We've had many thanks for her all week. I want to pray that she'll be with her husband, with our brother Nick. Pray that you will strengthen him and hold him up and comfort him and as he seeks to go on this path with you alone for the remaining time on this earth. And today, as we look at the path that you want us to take, and the path that hopefully we would never take, that you will help us to be blessed by the presence of your spirit, give us understanding, and teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> As you noticed, the title of today's message, it comes from a book that was put in my hands 
by an author that I happen to like who wrote several books on David and Joseph. And this one is called Well-Driven Nails. And as I was reading this chapter, and then later, several days later, preparing to have a sermon, my thoughts went back to that page because this little short excerpt stuck with me. And it's the title to the sermon. When you get to where you're going, where will you be? And it's a question that we all need to ask ourselves. What path are we on? Where are we going to be when we get there? Where are we headed? We're told there are many roads. How many? How many does the Bible tell us? How many paths? How many ways are there? in this world for us to choose from. Two, two is the number, no more, no less. Only two roads. Jesus speaks of them in Matthew 7, and Philip just read them to us. I'm going to share them with you again. Verses 13 and 14, enter in, at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. There is a straight gate, S-T-R-A-I-T, and there is the broad gate. The straight gate is narrow, straight. Have you ever heard the term straight is narrow or on the straight and narrow path? The broad gate is wide, very wide. Many will be in it. The narrow gate leads to the way of life, eternal life with our Lord, our Creator. The broad gate leads to what? Destruction. The path to destruction. There'll only be a few who find or take the narrow way, the narrow path, but there'll be many, many who go the broad way, the wide path. Jesus says in the Mount of Blessings, page 138, the path which I have set before you is narrow. The gate is difficult of entrance, for the golden rule excludes all pride and self-seeking. So the path I set before you is narrow. What makes it narrow? It's difficult to enter. Why is it difficult? Because of the golden rule. It excludes all pride and self-seeking. Yet it is the appointed path God points out for us to choose, that we might be with him for eternity. This is our Father pointing the way for us. There's another path available, though. If that one seems too hard, 
one we don't want to try, there's another one available, should we choose to do so. And most, if not all of us, have at one time or another, before we turned around, been on that path. I know I was. I know you were too. At one time or another. This is often referenced to as the easier path. Wrongly referenced as such. Remember, this is the road, the path of destruction, and it ends in death. The second death, that is, the death which is as eternal as the life offered in the narrow path. How do we turn around? We need supernatural assistance to turn around and to maintain our walk in the narrow path. The broad way Satan makes to appear attractive, but it's all a deception. The path is evil and brings bitter remorse, sorrow, and pain. Enjoyment and pleasure is offered, but not given. Only God can give us true hope and pleasure. Though the narrow path is so narrow and so holy, sin cannot be tolerated, yet there is room for all on that path. Room for everyone that was ever created. No doubting, trembling soul need ever say, my God cares not for me. God has made a way for all. All the way are wellsprings of joy to refresh us. We shall be exceedingly joyful. Why? Why will we be exceedingly joyful on a narrow path? Well, we'll be joyful because Jesus will be walking with us. He walks invisible beside us. Mind of Blessings 140. And it also says this, at each step upward, we discern more distinctly the touch of his hand. Wow. Do you want to walk with Jesus? Do you want to feel his hand touch you? Do you want to feel his embrace? Let's turn to Luke 13. Chapter 13 of Luke. And verse 24. It's talking about the same two gates. <clears throat> but it adds something. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able when once the master of the house is risen up and has shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. This text 
brought to my mind another text. Does it bring one to you? Someone knocking on a door? Isn't it interesting? That would be Revelation 3. I believe it's verse 20. Let's just look at it for a second. It brought this text to my mind because <clears throat> in Revelation 3, verse 20, Jesus is knocking at a door. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in to him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. Jesus knocking on the door of our hearts. Now, right? One day, if we do not let him in and take the path he is turning us to, we will be knocking and he will not open. It's an awesome thought, isn't it? I want to read to you from Mount of Blessings. <clears throat> this is on this Luke 13, 24. It says the Christian life is a battle and a march, but the victory to be gained is not won by human power. The field of conflict is the domain of the heart. The battle which we have to fight, the greatest battle that was ever fought by man, is the surrender of self to the will of God, the yielding of the heart to the sovereignty of love. The old nature, born of blood and of the will of the flesh, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Now that old nature is a sinful nature. There has to be a change. The hereditary tendencies, the former habits, must be given up. We cannot overcome the mighty foe who holds us in his thrall. God alone can give us the victory. He desires us to have the mastery over ourselves, our own will, and our own ways. But he cannot work in us without our consent and cooperation. The divine spirit works through our faculties and powers that are given to us by God. Our energies are required to cooperate with God. And the victory is not won without much earnest prayer, without the humbling of self at every step. Our will is not to be forced into cooperation with divine agencies, but it must be voluntarily submitted. It would not make you a Christian, a fit subject for heaven, to be forced. The stronghold of Satan would not be broken. It has to be broken. The will must be placed on the side of the will of God of God's will. You're not able of yourself to bring your purposes and desires and inclinations into submission to the will of God. But if you're willing to be made willing, 
God will accomplish the work for you. Isn't that beautiful promise? We cannot retain self on the throne and yet enter the kingdom of God. Self needs to be dethroned. Yes, the narrow path may be rough. The ascent may be steep. There may be pitfalls along the way. We may have to endure toil when weary, longing for rest even until we faint. We may have to fight when discouraged. Through prayer and faith, we must still hope. Many of us have had those experiences, raising up churches, raising up food pantries, raising up Dorcas's. But God gives us joy. In the weariness, we can give, we give glory to him and we can rejoice in being a part of the work of his vineyard. So, Christ is the guide for us all in a narrow path, and we shall not fail to reach the goal if we follow him closely. Beholding him, following his instructions, the narrow path will lead us home. Jesus had trod this path. He has paved the way. Does that make a difference? The rough way, he's gone there first before us. He's trodden the path down and smoothed the path for us. So we find ourselves at a big Y in the road. We have a decision to make. What road do I choose? Why am I where I am? Where am I? When I get where I'm going, where will I be? Two ways, two roads, two choices. Our feet naturally lean toward the broad path because of a sinful nature. We need to make a turnaround, but how? The key is this, repentance. How does that happen? Surely not naturally in our hearts with no help from God. Romans 2 verse 4 tells us it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We would never be on any road but the broad road if it wasn't God leading us to the narrow road. The narrow road is not a bad road. It's only narrow because there's few that choose it. It is the goodness of God who leads us to repentance. God wants us to, God wants to put us on a new way, a new direction. He, he's pointing us a new way. He calls us, draws us to make a choice to let him be our guide on the path of life, not the evil one who so easily besets us. God wants us off the broad road and onto the narrow road, which his son trod, and calls us to join him on exhibiting the character of our Father in heaven, as he did while on this earth. Is that a high calling? Yes. Who is it for? It's for everyone. Not all will choose it, but it's for everyone. It's for us. 
the supernatural power of our God and Creator, who's speaking, who's seeking to recreate us, turns us in a new and better direction that we may make the choice to allow Him to turn us around. Because that's what repentance is, a new direction, turning around from the path that we fell into. It cost heaven a high price to purchase us. It cost the blood of the Son of God, and yet he does not insist that we come with him. He calls us and lets us make our own choice. Points out both roads, cautions and tells you where each one is leading. But the choice is ours. We're allowed to choose, to accept, or reject the precious gift God sent to redeem us. You know, Adam and Eve, God sent angels to tell them about that tree, that tree to avoid. They could go to it, they had access to it, but they were told where it would lead. They were warned, and God told us about two roads. One is narrow, one is wide. Though he loved us enough to die on the cross for us, his love will not force us to come home. We're asked to choose whether we will accept his gift of eternal love and life. We can go our own way if we choose to do so. What amazing love. Heaven paid the highest price they could pay. And yet, even though we belong to him through the death of his son, he's willing to let us go if we wouldn't be happy with him. What a God we serve. We're helpless without him. Without him, the broad road is our goal. His goodness leads us to the two roads. These roads, where does he point them out? It's at the cross, folks. It's at the cross. In 5 BC 1095, it says, the cross stands where two roads diverge. One is the path of obedience leading to heaven, home. The other leads into the broad road where man can easily go with his burden of sin and corruption, but it leads to perdition. In one path, the Christian will weave God into all that they do. The other will weave self into all they choose. Now, let's go to the cross. What happens here? Yes. We choose. God says, choose ye this day whom ye shall follow. Because in each path, there's a master. There's a master to follow. Do we continue where our feet, our sinful nature leads us, or do we let God turn us around? Because you can't have one foot in the broad path and one foot in the narrow path. You've got to make a decision to turn from one to go in the other.
We're talking about repentance, a turning around experience. It includes a heartfelt sorrow for the sin that we've committed that will lead us to let God turn us around. It will be in a new direction, a new path, a new road, a new way with the one who is the way. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. This is from Review and Herald, March 9th, 1897. Christ in the heart will bring the whole person, soul, body, and spirit into captivity to the obedience of righteousness. Who will do it? Christ. Christ's true followers will be in conformity to the mind and will and character of God. And the far-reaching principles of the law will be demonstrated in humanity. Romans 5.10. What does God tell us in Romans 5.10? I love Romans 5.10. Everything looks different up here, you know that? For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, that's the cross. We were reconciled where? At the cross, right? But is that all there is? No. Much more being reconciled, because we're reconciled, we shall be saved, how? By his life. That means going down the path that he went. I want to read you another text. Jesus says, see, Jesus says, I came not to destroy the law, but to do what? To fulfill it. Yes. What is God seeking to do now? Has the law been fulfilled in Christ? Yes. Is that all? No. Romans 8 verse 4 says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled. Where? In us, who walk not after the flesh, the broad path, but after the spirit, the narrow path. God is seeking to once again fulfill the law in sinful flesh, our flesh, by the life of Christ in us. What does it say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's God's plan. 
He wants to fulfill the law and righteousness in his people, in us, who are reconciled by the blood of Jesus, all of us, the world. But now that Christ died on the cross for us and has risen and conquered the grave, we all have a choice to make. We all have to make a decision. We have all been saved in Christ at the cross, if you want to be. But God is not going to take home those that he loved and died for unless they want to go. He's not going to take you as a child that's going to be in heaven crying that they miss the things of earth. What happens when God pulls you out of the Broadway? What happened to Lot's wife? God pulled her out, but she looked back. God said, don't look back, but she looked back. God's not going to take us to heaven if we're looking for what we left behind. We need to prepare now to live in heaven. And we need to be so prepared that others will see there's something different about us. We're supposed to mingle with the people and and do good. But we're not supposed to be so mingled that they can't tell the difference. God has reconciled us at the cross, but much more. We shall be saved by his life, his life to be lived out in us by his spirit. If we choose the narrow path, that's the experience God will give us. Satan never tested Satan never tested the forgiving spirit of God because he never exercised genuine repentance. His representations of God were not correct. He was a fake witness, a fake, an accuser of Christ, an accuser of those who throw off the satanic yoke and come back to render willing allegiance to the God of heaven. He was with God, and yet he himself made a choice to be in command of his own way. Sad. He turned around to depart from God and left God, his creator, seeking to be higher than the creator. Does that make sense? The cross stands where two roads diverge. One is the path of obedience leading to heaven. The other leads where man can easily go with his sin and corruption, but it leads to death. Those who come out of the world in spirit and in all practice may regard themselves as sons and daughters of God. They may believe his word as a child believes every word of his parents. Every promise is sure to him who believes. Those who unite with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who show by their lives that they're no longer following the course they followed before they united with this divine instrumentalities will receive the wisdom from above, which comes from God. Those who seek to answer the prayer, thy will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. We'll seek by living pure, sanctified lives to show to the world how the will of God is done in heaven right here on earth. How about it? Where do we go to the cross? What do we do there? Make a choice. Choose ye this day whom ye will follow. Choose your path. There's only two. God is leading you to one. Someone else is calling you to the other. But you will not be forced to take either one. It must be a true choice. If you choose an narrow path, if you go forward toward heaven, the world will rub hard against you. At every step, you'll have to urge your way against Satan and his evil angels. Earthly authorities will interpose. You will meet tribulations, bruising of your spirit, hard speeches, ridicule, persecution. Men will require you to conform to laws and customs that would render you disloyal to God. Here's where God's people find the cross in the way to life. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We don't need to be afraid of it. We just need to be God's, God's people. Desire of Ages, page 225. This is a powerful statement. Of all the gifts that heaven can bestow upon men, fellowship with Christ in his sufferings is the most weighty trust and the highest honor. In closing, I'm going to read you couple paragraphs here from Desire of Ages. I've always said, Lord, if anything happens, if my house is fire and my books get burned, there's one page I've got to keep. This is it. It's Desire of Ages, page 324. I'm just going to read part of it. When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the heart. A new power takes possession of the new heart. I read it wrong the first time. When the soul surrenders itself to Christ, a new power takes possession of the new heart. A change is wrought which man can never accomplish for himself. It is a supernatural work, bringing a supernatural element into human nature. The soul that is yielded to Christ becomes his own fortress, which he holds in a revolted world. And he intends that no authority shall be known in it but his own. 
A soul thus kept in possession by the heavenly agencies is impregnable, not able to be pregnated to the assaults of Satan. But unless we do yield ourselves to the control of Christ, we shall be dominated by the wicked one. If you don't choose that narrow path and choose to follow God, follow Christ to heaven, then you will be choosing the evil one and be led to destruction. That's it. That's our two choices. And you may think you're choosing your own way, but that's okay with Satan. He's perfectly happy with that. It's not really another way. It just means he's got you because the sinful flesh will take you where he wants you to go. It says we must inevitably be under the control of one or the other of the two great powers that are contending for the supremacy of the world. It is not necessary for us deliberately to choose the service of the kingdom of darkness in order to come under its dominion. We have only to neglect to ally ourselves with the kingdom of light. If we do not cooperate with the heavenly agencies, Satan will take possession of our heart and will make it his abiding place. The only defense against evil is the indwelling of Christ in the heart through faith in his righteousness. Without a personal acquaintance with Christ and a continual communion, we are at the mercy of the enemy and shall do his bidding in the end. Wow. So I ask you today, when you get where you're going, where will you be? Remember, it's your choice. God already made his choice. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, how do we thank you? How do we thank you for the greatest gift ever given to man? How do we thank you for Jesus? Lord, I pray today that these two roads will be more significant in our minds and that daily we will lay down our life and choose to follow you down that narrow path. Narrow only because self is not allowed. Only us filled with Jesus to walk and follow you till we come home to be with you. Lord, may your grace, your power for victory over sin be present in us that we might walk the walk and come home to live and be where we were created to be with our Lord, our Father, the angels, and your spirit. Keep us, Lord, hold us up each day we pray, because we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.